And perhaps uh, one of the reasons God is allowing our enemy to be so bold and so arrogant in this day is to motivate God's people to begin to get down to business using the weapons of our warfare, ministering to the body of Christ, entering into prayer with the fervency that's urgently needed. My newest book, or my last book, The Satanic Revival, terrible title, but don't blame me for that. The publisher gave it the title. And... um, It is a book, really, about spiritual revival. I personally believe that's the only hope for our nation. Sometime you invite me back, I'll bring a sermon to you on revival. I believe it's one of the most urgent needs of the hour. And I personally feel it's coming. God's going to do it. I think it'll be sudden and swift and wonderful, And uh, may he be gracious to us. And I hope some of you will begin to catch the vision of prayer. Those little blue booklets, I trust, will help motivate you and give you an idea of how to pray for revival. Some people really have never done much of that, and they don't know just how to begin to intercede for it. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote those little prayers. I'd like for you to take your Bible tonight and turn with me to the first chapter of 1 Peter. This is an interesting chapter, especially concerning the last point that we're going to look at in our steps to freedom tonight. Beginning with verse 13, Peter says, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourn here in fear. There's good fear as well as bad fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from the vain conversation or the vain way of life received by tradition from your fathers. Now please note that statement. That's very important to what we're going to say tonight. You were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from this serious condition he talks about as a way of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Precious Heavenly Father, tonight we desire to learn of Thee, not only for our own freedom, but in order to help others about us who are in bondage, whose lives are in turmoil and chaos. And we know that with all the dabbling that's going on in spiritism, in witchcraft, in occultism, and open Satan worship, that there are multitudes of people exposing themselves to demonic activity. And we would pray that you would help us tonight to be able to latch on to some insights that will help us to walk in our freedom as well as to 
communicate to others how they can walk in their freedom. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You should have received tonight a handout called Seven Steps Toward Experiencing Personal Freedom from Demonization. If you didn't receive that, perhaps you'd slip your hand up and those who might have it would be able to perhaps get you one. Good. All right. I believe this is a very valuable thing you have in your hands. It's not original with me. It's an adaptation, as you'll notice on the first page, of Neil Anderson's Bondage Breaker. It's a very outstanding book on spiritual warfare, which it would be well worth your while to own. I have a few copies out on the uh, table along with my own books. So uh, if you could possibly have that book, it would be well for you. Dr. Anderson has done something that's very, very valuable. Those of us who've been working in this area of helping people get free from demonic oppression, I've recognized for many years that people get in trouble for specific reasons, that um, they've opened their lives. Now, we used to strictly deal with it on the basis of just counseling with them until we were able to find out where they had left the door open. But in all of our counseling at ICBC anymore, we take them through the steps to freedom because it helps people to identify in a rather uh, quick way the doors that they opened up to the activity of the enemy. Now, some of us have a strange or rather an inaccurate understanding of what this whole area of demonization is. Many folks think that you have to almost be like the man at Gadara who ran in the tombs, naked, crying out, cutting himself, couldn't chain him up. As an illustration of someone who is demonized. Now that is where it's leading. And if you open your life to the devil long enough, that's where you'll end up. That's what he has for people. Satan is a ruthless tyrant, terribly cruel. Christians will not note that serious a problem in their lives. But they might note an inability to pray, even though they really want to. An inability to read the scripture, even though they want to. Um, a rather lukewarmness and coldness to the things of God, even though they really want a warm heart for the things of the Lord. Now, those are some of the ways that may betray the fact that demonic strongholds are controlling you, at least in a beginning measure. Other symptoms of it are voices you hear in the mind telling you certain things that you must do or you must believe. It's not unusual for people to experience that. Neil Anderson tells about giving a, a quiz to a Christian high school in California, a large one. And they asked the kids on the questionnaire if they ever heard voices in their mind telling them what they should do or what they should believe. And 71% of the students said they had heard such voices. Now, that's a large number. 
when you consider it was a Christian high school. But we are rapidly becoming a very demonized culture. You cannot live in a culture such as our culture where there's open promiscuity, sexual sin, like there is, and where there's so much experimentation with uh, everything from Ouija boards to seances and curses and witchcraft and open worship of Satan, but what you open up the door in that culture for powerful satanic demonic activity. Those are two sins that open people's lives very, very quickly to demonic control. And they must be renounced in our lives if we have so opened them. So in having something in your hands like you have is, has really a twofold purpose. The first purpose is to help God's people get free from demonic control, oppression, uh, harassment that may be troubling their own lives. And it's not unusual for Christian workers to have this problem. We have a large percentage of missionaries coming to see us. We have quite a few pastors and pastors' wives coming to see us. Deacons, young people from fine Christian homes, deeply troubled. I was over in when I was over in Africa, time before last, there was a missionary that uh, was deeply troubled with suicide thoughts. He confessed to a group of us meeting socially that he'd even planned out the way that he was going to do it. And, uh, of course, this gave me an opportunity to minister to him, and I spent a couple of days with him before I left Africa. And he took me to the plane, and he just hugged me and hugged me and hugged me. When I went back to Africa this last time, he was one of the first ones to greet me because God had brought him to freedom from that. I personally have told Dr. Anderson that I believe the greatest benefit of these steps to freedom will be when God is pleased to give us revival. The other purpose that uh, I see in something like this is that it's extremely transferable. It puts in your hands something that you can use with other people. You can sit down with them. You can explain the ways in which we open doors to the enemy and how important it is to... Uh, Make right those things where we've opened doors and lead them through it in a, a time set aside just for that purpose. Now, the first thing that ought to be established is that the person really knows Christ as his Savior. And you'd be amazed how many times people that really thought they knew the Lord and understood, had a faulty view of what it is to be saved. I remember I was up in Minnesota, and uh, I was in a, it was a Missionary Alliance church, real gospel preaching church. And I noticed that in the second row, in the first two or three services, this lady was seated every service. She was the epitome of misery and sadness and pain. Very attentive. The pastor announced that, uh, that people could counsel with me if they desired during the day. And uh, so he told me that some had signed up. And 
I said, I hope one of them's that lady that sits in the front row or second row, and it was. And when I asked her the evaluation question about her own salvation, I discovered she had a completely works answer. Even though she was a member of the church and had been baptized, she thought she was going to earn her way to heaven by teaching Sunday school and being faithful and, and doing good to people. So I spent the time just taking her through the plan of salvation. And a wonderful thing happened. She received Christ as her Savior. And uh, then as soon as she had done that, you'll notice on page 2, there's a renunciation of ways in which you might have given ground to the kingdom of darkness. And by the way, this was a part of the early church. Some of the early church fathers record this, that before anyone was baptized, he had a renunciation, something like this, where he would stand against any claim of darkness against him. In the name of my Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his blood, I here and now renounce and disown all those ways in which I have given any ground to Satan and his demon powers. I ask my Lord Jesus Christ to evict from my life any controlling powers of darkness and to send them where they may never control or trouble me again. Now when you lead somebody through that after you've led them to Christ, watch for some kind of clue that might tell you there's something going on in this person's life. And you might want to take them through the steps to freedom. I would suggest, by the way, that every one of you go through these. You say, well, I don't think I have any demonic trouble in my life. Well, I hope you certainly do not. But it would not be unusual for some subtle activity of darkness to be working in your life trying to usurp control over it. And this can be a wonderful spiritual exercise of renunciation. The first one, renounce all involvements with false religions, occult practices, divinations, magic, sorcery, witchcraft, spiritistic healing, and things of that nature. This is a wide open door. This is the reason why. In the Old Testament, you remember that the nation of Israel was to have nothing to do with the heathen nations. Put them to death as a judgment of God, as in the days when they went into Canaan. One of the major reasons for that was that those people, almost without exception, were spiritists. They were into the occult, communicating with darkness and going through all of that kind of wickedness. Now, most of us, most of us have had some exposure to that. It's amazing how many times we have a little questionnaire, we have people fill out, confidential information, guide, and very, very seldom do we have a counselee who hasn't done something like play with a Ouija board or play with Dungeons and Dragons or uh, be at a slumber party when they had a little seance or engage in levitation or learned how to witch for water or had somebody lay hands on them to pray or to perform some healing ritual over them. In some cultures, that's just rampant, especially the German culture, the Amish culture. I was up in northern Montana ministering to the Mennonites and the Amish, and uh, that's just part of their culture. Magic of every description. Well, when you get involved in that, 
you open your life to demonic activity. And it can happen so quickly. It's amazing how many folk, you know, on the questionnaire, they'll check the Ouija board, say, when I was a kid. And then you come to talk to them about it. Well, that wasn't anything. I just sort of fooled around with it a little. You don't fool around with those things. You've stepped into the enemy's territory when you dabble with those things. And that is very serious business. The Old Testament warns against it. And the New Testament warns against it. Passages like Ephesians 5. So it's good to renounce it. I was going to tell you about my own experience with well-witching, which has something to say about the danger of indiscriminate laying on of hands. My first pastorate in Colorado was in a little mountain church. And uh, one of the men in the church helped people find water in the mountains. It's not too easy up there sometimes. Those who douse for wells or witch for wells are... um, kind of treasured, especially if you're good at it, so-called. Well, he was. And he liked to do it because he felt he was helping people. Well, one day I came home right at the same time he did, and he lived just next door to us. And so Frank uh, said to me, Pastor, let me show you how this works. And he carried this forked willow stick in his hands, with the fork part held like that in each hand and the straight part sticking up in the air. And he started to walk toward our well, which was a spring. And he got near our well, and that stick flipped down with great strength. And I could tell he wasn't doing that. Something made that go down. Well, in my ignorance and curiosity... I said, let me try that. So he gave me the stick, and uh, I walked with it toward the, the water, and nothing happened. And I said, well, it doesn't work for me. And, and uh, Frank said something which I had no idea the seriousness of. He said, well, let me come up alongside of you, and I'll put my hands on yours while you walk. And we'll see what happened. So he came up beside me and reached his right hand onto mine and his left onto mine. And I was carrying this stick and walking toward the water. When I got there, it went down. And there was no way I could have held that thing. And the strange thing is, friend, that then, without him touching me, I could walk. And I could do it. You see, spiritistic gifts are transferred by the laying on of hands from one person to another. Now, I didn't feel anything. I didn't think anything was different. But transfer, spiritistic transfer, took place just like that. A number of years later when the Lord led me into spiritual warfare and I said, Lord, is there any way in which I've given serious ground to the enemy? That's one of the first things the Lord brought to my mind. And I had to renounce it, much like we suggest you renounce those things in this list. Be careful about having people lay hands on you. Now there's a place for it in Scripture. But this indiscriminate, quick laying on of hands that's being practiced in some circles today is deadly business, dangerous business. Because if someone in that group of people who come up and lay hands on you supposedly to pray because you're not feeling too well or something, one of them may be a spiritistic healer. And conceivably they could not even know it. And all of a sudden, spiritistic transfer has taken place. So I would urge you, if you've had any of that 
in your background, whether it was before you were saved or after you were saved. Now keep in mind that at salvation, all legal claim that wicked powers have against you is instantly canceled. But the challenge is greater for them. Because now, if they can deceive you, and if they can, they don't have any place to go, by the way, except maybe to somebody else in the family. Their assignment is to you. And they will try to manipulate and work in any way they can to bring you into some degree of bondage, to hinder you in your Christian life, and to do the work of darkness in your life. And so it's good to deliberately go through a renunciation. You'll notice at the bottom of page 3, under point D, there is a renunciation prayer. And I would suggest that you use that for each one. Now, I'm so thankful in my experience that I could only remember one thing in this realm that had ever touched my life. And that was that, that uh, well-witching incident. I did renounce things I might not have ever known, which is under that forgotten involvement under number one. And by the way, that's an important one. The Satanists are very, very busy. They are trying their utmost to... Um, control us. I don't know if, would it be helpful if I use the overhead? It's hard to see up here, but at least you might keep up with me so that you don't get lost in your notes. But I'll just uh, quickly switch up number three. What I'm talking about is this first part here. Forgotten involvements. Because there may have been things that happened to you that were spiritistic that happened before you knew it, before you remembered it. And it could go all the way back to things that were done when you were just an infant. By the way, one of the most tragic things I've heard is that the Satanists now, and we've heard this from at least two different sources, that one of their chief goals is to put Satanist nurses into the uh, nurseries of our hospitals so that right at the moment your little baby is brought into the world they could perform some of their ritualistic wickedness over that child and claim that child for Satan. That's how dedicated they are. And so it behooves us to be ready to renounce any forgotten involvements and to come with strength against that. After you've worked through your list, on page four, you have the um, command for any powers of darkness to leave you and to go where the Lord Jesus Christ sends them. And I would suggest that... that uh, you do that with real aggressive authority. That's what you have in the Lord Jesus. By the way, if you, and I'm sure there'll be some here who have a lot of demonic activity against them. If you run into problems, don't do it alone. Have somebody there to help you. And if you're leading somebody through it, and you see them begin to come under real difficulty. There isn't anything that will rouse up wicked spirits that have assignment against you more than if you begin to get near to what's going to rob them of their strength. And they'll try to frighten people off. It was just this week working with someone, leading him through the steps to freedom. And in a number of times as we went through the the powers of darkness would just try to take over. And he would have a swooning sensation and we would just have to stop and say, 
We subdue you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't interfere. This person is his own person. He has a right to renounce that which has given you any claim against him. And you just go right on with it. So that's an important one. Very important. The second one is to renounce all deception with which you are or have been involved. Lying is one of Satan's chief tactics. It's amazing how many Christians get caught in deliberate lies. I mean by that, it becomes almost a besetting sin to them. I remember talking with someone who said, I don't know why I do it. I'm telling a story. It's a good story. It's a true story. And then all of a sudden, I find myself adding all kinds of things that aren't true at all. And it's just a big lie. And then afterwards, he felt so guilty for what he was doing. Well, deception, since it's one of Satan's chief tools against us, is that which opens the door to his activity. Now, you as a Christian may not have too much trouble with telling lies, but you might have a great deal of trouble with believing lies. And both of them are very deadly. For example, an unbiblical view of your self-worth. Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over Darkness, help you a lot on that. Judgmental attitude toward other believers. That's a deception. That's not your privilege. And you've been deceived if you think you have that right. Questioning of God's love and goodness. God is good and loving whether you experience it or not. Has nothing to do with what you're experiencing. He's good and loving because those are his attributes, and he can't be anything but that. And when you question that, you have been deceived by Satan, accepting fears and living them out. And so it's very important to renounce deception, not only that you have acted upon, but that you believe. And so there are two prayers on page 5. Uh, once again, to help you to be able to verbalize a biblical prayer of renouncing uh, any uh, deception with which you have been involved. I would suggest you use the first part on every one, and then in a general way, renounce any powers of darkness such as is outlined there. Number three is one of the most serious ones. Last night we talked a little about this. How that one of Satan's chief tactics is to try to manipulate you to do something that's going to bring God's action against you. I told you that I felt that's one of the major reasons he is bringing upon our nation today homosexuality in such large degree and uh, the abortion, killing of little innocent unborn babies by the millions. Now, if you study your Old Testament scripture, those are the sins that activated the wrath of God against nations. Now, Satan knows he is not powerful enough to destroy our nation with his own power and his own demons. But if he can make us follow him and his lies in our conduct, God is powerful enough to destroy our nation because of his judgment. Now that has a great deal of application on this issue of bitterness and a lack of forgiveness. I'd like for you to turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 
verses 10 and 11. This is a sobering statement that uh, Paul gives to you and me. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive, forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now what's he talking about? Turn back to Matthew chapter 15, and you'll see it very quickly. Matthew chapter 15. This is the story, or Matthew 18, I'm sorry. Matthew 18. This is the story that Jesus told about the necessity of forgiving. Now, I'm not going to take time to read the whole passage. Remember, Peter was concerned about how often he should forgive, whether seven times would be enough. And the Lord said, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. In other words, it's just something you have to do, so keep on with it, uh, was the direction of our Lord Jesus. Now, what happened? Well, Jesus told a story about this king, this master, who had authority over his servants. The king represents God. And the day came when the master was going to uh, demand settlement. The man owed an enormous debt, several million dollars. Can you imagine if you had a debt of several million dollars? How long would it take you to ever pay it back? Most of us could never pay it back. If we lived a long life and put everything we earned to pay the debt off, we couldn't do it. And that's the object of the story. The debt was so enormous that he couldn't pay it off. But uh, you'll notice that the servant uh, bowed down before him, asked him, the Lord to have patience with him, and he had paid by. Verse 27 of that servant was moved with compassion. He loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's conversion. That's what happens to you when you're saved. That enormous debt of all your sins, blotted out in a moment of time by the blood of Christ. But notice what happened. This fellow went out so glad to be free of that debt, but not realizing the great responsibility now was on him. Somebody owed him a little, just a few dollars. And the fellow said, well, give me some time and I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't. We're told that he had him thrown into prison. You see, when you won't forgive somebody the wrong that they've done to you, it's your attempt to punish them. And that's what he did. Had him thrown into prison. Now let's pick up the story. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they're very sorry. And they told the Lord. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said to him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because thou desired me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth. It's the only time I know of in Scripture where God is ever pictured as dealing with his born-again ones in wrath and anger. It helps you see a little bit of the enormity of your refusal to forgive somebody who hurt you in light of all the forgiveness God has given you. Notice what he did. He delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay back all that was due unto him. Now his debt had been canceled. What did he owe? The only thing he owed was forgiveness. 
How did God deal with him for this enormous sin? He turned him over to tormentors. Now, I don't have time to show you out of Scripture that these tormentors are really demons. God's way of dealing with a person who holds bitterness in his heart is to remove his restraint so that demons get at that Christian. You said, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Is that true? Look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. That's pretty powerful. So what is devil, the devil's scheme? The devil's scheme is to make you think that you can get away with being bitter about somebody who hurt you. And if he can make you think that, it's his way of manipulating God to remove his restraint so Satan's demons can get at you. It's the way it works. We've had to send some folk home from our center because they wouldn't deal with this issue. They'd been hurt, hurt, hurt. The ones that I dealt with were both abuse by a family member. In one case, it was a father. In another case, it was a brother. And the bitterness, the hurt was so deep, deep, deep. But dear friends, you've got to deal with that. There's no way to bypass that. I'm happy to say that in two of the cases that we had to deal with, that um, they later got in touch with us and let us know, know that uh, it had been dealt with. So it's very important to deal with it. How do you deal with that? Well, here's some suggested prayers of verbalizing. And I'm not going to read those because you have them and our time is going so quickly here that uh, we must hurry on. So let's move on to number D. Renounce all expressions of rebellion and your lack of submission to God's will and plan. Now, of course, this goes back to the Old Testament where Samuel told Saul, that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. It's akin to it. And if you have had rebellion in your life, it's just like you'd been playing with witchcraft in your life to open yourself to demonic activity. And so it's very important to recognize the seriousness of this, whether it's direct rebellion against God or constituted authority like civil government, or your parents, or your husband, or your wife, or your employer, or church leaders, or school authorities. And it's good to renounce each act of rebellion, writing them down, being a good steward, to be honest with yourself and honest with God. Number E has to do with pride. The problem of pride. Pride is uh, uniquely demonic and satanic. It's the very heart of the way that Satan rebelled against God. Now you just ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand ways in which you have been expressing pride. I think you'll be amazed at what he may bring to your understanding. Uh, I'm always uh, um, delighted. What we usually do is we'll take these steps of freedom and go through them one day, and then send them home with them to work on it that evening and to come back the next day and we'll talk about them and begin to work through these. And sometimes I'm just amazed 
at what they come up with. That uh, they recognize pride has been at the core of something very significant in their lives. Now the next one has to do with besetting sins. These are the fleshly sins that we talked about earlier. And my suggestion would be that you take the list from Galatians 5 and be honest with yourself and with the Lord and write down those that are besetting sins for you. And then you'll notice that we spend quite a bit of time upon the sexual issue. And one of the reasons for that is that in the sexual union, there is a oneness that takes place between two people. And it's instantaneous. It's recognized by God. He's the one who told you about it. And it's certainly recognized by Satan. So that if you are sexually involved with another person, whether it's in heterosexual or homosexual relationship, in that sexual coming together, there is an immediate transfer of demonic powers that may be in one person's life to the other person. And it's a very serious matter in this culture because of the promiscuity and the wickedness. It's one of the ways in which our culture is rapidly becoming a demonized culture through sexual promiscuity. It's just moving like a plague through the culture. Now, when people have been caught up in that kind of thing, and it's amazing how many people are these days, even Christian people, what serious consequences come forth. And we have suggested a way in which we need to renounce this. And I would suggest you make a list of people with whom you've been involved. And then go through the renunciation as we've outlined it there. But it is not just sexual sin. It's any besetting sin. Could be jealousy. Could be anger. Could be quarrelsomeness. And gossip. All of those are part of the sins of the flesh. It could be lying. Well, how are you going to take back that ground that you've given to the enemy. Well, that's on page 11 there where we have a suggested prayer to help you to know how to renounce that which you have given to the enemy, which is enabling the enemy to um, bring his, his power directly against you. Now the last one is one that is somewhat controversial. Not much has been written about this. My own experience, this goes back to my very young uh, pastoral, well, even before that. When I was in high school, I read those accounts in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and other books of the Old Testament, that God visits the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. I never understood that. It always seemed to me to be somewhat unjust. How could that be? And many scholars have wrestled with that. I think probably the most prominent explanation is that when the fathers sin, that they, by their, um, the environment that they then bring into their home, they begin to prepare their children to sin the same way through the example and through the environment of sin. Well, personally, I don't think that's adequate to explain it. I believe what you're up against is demonic transfer. Generational transfer. 
where, you see, when somebody opens his life to wicked spirits, say, for example, I was into witchcraft and uh, worship of Satan, and uh, then I have opened my life to demonic powers, and uh, they really have a control upon me because of that. Well, I'm getting older. One of these days, I'm going to die. What's going to happen to those wicked spirits that have been controlling me? See, they don't die. They have no place to go. Where are they going to go? They've been assigned to me. And they want to transfer on to the bloodline. And... uh, Dr. Dr. Fred Dickerson has kept careful journals on this in the hundreds of people that he's counseled with uh, demonic oppression. And he has stated in his book that 95% of the people that he deals with that have this kind of problem It's a generational problem. They've been in the family. They want to stay in the family. Now that explains a lot of difficult things in Scripture, whether you accept it or not. First of all, it explains why in the Scripture there are little children who are demonized. Why would little children be demonized? Uh, They have not done any personal sin. Why would they have to be born with such a thing as the man described to Jesus when Christ came down from the Mount of Transfiguration? And here was a boy with such a serious problem. His disciples couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus had to deal with it. And He asked the father how long this had been a problem and it was from infancy. So, and this, by the way, is becoming a much more serious problem because of what our culture is living like now where you have parents opening their lives to wickedness, sexual wickedness, and occult wickedness. We're going to begin to see more and more little children who have the marks of being demonized. They're incorrigible. They can't be handled. Discipline does them no good. Why? It's not just an old nature problem. There's a drivenness in them from the powers of darkness. Now, Christian parents, I'm going to write, by the way, Lord willing, this summer a little book for Christian parents. Because this is becoming a problem. I've had to help a number of Christian parents already who had little children that were out of control. They didn't know what to do about it. One of those that I just renewed fellowship with them down in Dallas that um, once lived here in Sioux City and uh, they had a little five-year-old girl totally out of control unmanageable. She'd get so full of rage that her parents couldn't control her at all. That's when they finally came to me and discussed the problem. And I didn't know much about their background. So we talked about that and discovered that on the father's side of the family that he had a father who had a terrible temper that would rage out of control. In fact, the father had been the recipient of some of this violent rage. Unjustly, when he was a little boy, it seemed to kind of center on him. So he was having trouble in his own heart with forgiving his father. And here's this little girl out of control. So we talked about what to do, and I suggested the next time that happened that um, she would... Scratch, she would kick, she would bite, she would scream, she would curse, and she'd live such a sheltered life they had no idea where she'd ever learn words like that. 
But I suggested the next time it happened that he simply confined her little arms to her body with his big arms and even hold her legs between his knees if he had to and just to pray something like this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his blood, I come against any wicked powers trying to fill my little daughter with rage and fury and anger that she can't control. And I command you to release her. You have no claim on her. We've given her to the Lord Jesus. And he was just praying up a storm like that. The first time it happened, he felt her relaxing. And all of a sudden, while he was praying, she turned her little face and she kissed him on the cheek right by his ear. And she said, I love you, Daddy. Broke it like that. You see, you cannot discipline out of children demonized behavior. It's a spiritual ministry. And God's people have to learn to deal with life spiritually. And under the authority of the believer. So I'm not going to try to deal with that too long tonight other than just to say that if you have not renounced generational transfer, all of you ought to do it. The reason I say that is that almost without exception, we have in our families occult backgrounds. You say, oh, that's not true of our family. When people say that, I say, what nationality are you? And usually it'll be German or French or Norwegian or English or Irish. If you know anything about those cultures, they were full of spiritism for centuries. Many of them still are. And that's where you came out of even though salvation may have been in your family for a number of generations. Praise God for that. And that's wonderful. By the way, this helps me to understand a little bit why in the Old Testament, did you ever think about this? Why in the Old Testament, in the, say, the Canaanite uh, judgment that God pronounced, um, through his people Israel. And they were to go into the city and they were to kill every man, every woman, every child, every animal. Why? I believe it because the whole culture had become so thoroughly demonized. There was no human way to deal with it. And God chose to deal with it in judgment. very serious problem in a culture like ours is becoming. And we are in for something, friends. In the next five years or so, if Jesus tarries, we're going to see more and more people, human beings, in trouble with demons like the man at Gadara. You cannot live in a culture like we're living in. But what? You fill up all of the mental institutions and all of the jails and finally there's no place to put the people of misery. And there's nothing that can turn that around but the gospel of Jesus Christ and spiritual revival. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for what you are giving to us to help us deal with the issues of the day. You are giving to us biblical balanced approaches to dealing with the awesome problems tumbling in upon our culture. 
We need to understand these things in order to pray right, in order to watch over our families and our children, to protect them from those things that are coming upon us in deluge through the music, through the culture, peer pressure, and all of the other wickedness that's abounding. Help us to be godly people in this day and to teach the truth and live the truth and walk in the truth. For Jesus' sake, amen.